You are listening to episode 245 of Game Deflators Podcast. My name's John, and I'm joined by Ryan. Hey, everybody here at the Game Deflators Podcast. We like to talk about games. We've recently picked up games we're currently playing, and we go bananas in this week's Inflation Deflation Challenge. So this week we're playing a little bit of Donkey Kong Country 3 on the Game Boy Advance. So Ryan, as you know, DKC3 is actually one of my favorite games of all time on the Super Nintendo, but I had never played it on the Game Boy Advance. Yeah, actually, I looked back and we've never done a Donkey Kong game really? on the show. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. I never realized that. Well, we'll have to do more. I mean, there's plenty of them, right? I know. I was like, this is John's favorite series, basically. Like, how have we never like covered it before but here we go that's probably why because i've always been like i'm biased on it yeah. yeah like maybe that's the reason but i've never played this version so and there are some differences on this one you'll have to enlighten us yes we'll we'll go into that in the uh in the last piece um but to start off the episode you can find us on the game our currently up-to-date website you can find us on youtube at the game deflators on there if you're trying to find some uh some videos content and audio footage of us uh you can also find us on social media at the game deflators on instagram and facebook at game deflators on twitter and of course you're listening to a podcast app right now uh why don't you leave us a five-star review we definitely appreciate it yeah all right pickups uh this week i picked up more magic cards because i'm in a little binge here of magic cards i'm trying I'm trying to build a mono blue deck like mono blue tempo for standard mm. and it's cheap right it's like 25 30 bucks to buy the cards i needed uh because i already had a bunch earlier from other sets that i had purchased and drafted so whole point there is i'm building some mono blue tempo we'll see how it plays i also picked up the new jace because the new jace is broken and he's still like two bucks a pop and i know i can break him further uh so there's a goal there um what i'm looking to accomplish is a blue black mill with jace um using uh breach the multiverse which automatically mills uh 10 cards from both your library and your opponent's library but then you're able to play i think it's a creature card that you're able to play out of their live out of their graveyard right so like if i mill somebody and i get a big nasty out of either their deck or mine i can play that so the idea is to do that and then jace is a uh one blue two colorless and then the life pay thing mm-hmm. so you pay you basically turn three you can pay two life and you can mill your opponent it's 15 cards i think you can mill them for basically two life and three so there's some opportunity there um with jace to do some nasty stuff uh, along with the breach of the multiverse there's some opportunity there and then there's other cards that allow you to bring things back from the graveyard so like you know spells like sorcery and whatnot so my hope is that I can build something around that um, that has plenty of counter, plenty of kill, and then creature stealing. So I actually picked up a card uh, today that came in called Invoke the Winds. And it's like four blue, one colorless, and it's gain control target artifact or creature, untap it. It's like you just gain control of it. So there are some some nasty decks going around that bring out like seven sevens and eight eight creatures that are just flipping gross so my thought process is if i go mono blue heavy counter with these like jins that basically gain power equal to the number of sorcery and instant cards in your library so i'm constantly countering right and drawing cards to build up to when that card comes in and then when they finally drop their big nasty i'm like invoke the wind steal nice. your card right steal your creatures and continually do that and since invoke the wind's not an attachment or um you know uh enchantment there's nowhere they can't really like oh i'm gonna go ahead and exile your attach or your equipment and then get my card back it's like no i steal it it's mine permanently so if you want to get rid of it you have to just straight get rid of it well you've got a bunch of counters that you can stop them from trying to interfere anyways exactly so counters to get rid of it things to bounce so i'll have bounce spells as well so like oh you played that cool that's fine like i'm gonna have you bounce again and um and we'll see what happens there so there's some cool things tied to that obviously i'm gonna have to counter specific cards so like holding counters for one that might be like oh your opponent exiles the top cards of your library blah 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 blah. so there's some big nasties in a domain specifically 
but there's also some big nasties in general in the you know in the format the only thing i'm have an issue with i think would be burn but where i've been playing nobody's played burn you're the burn guy (laughs) i'm the burn guy so like that's not a problem and the people playing angels and that type of stuff that's cool because all the creatures that i run the deck are flyers and they're pretty big and nasty anyways and then i got lots of bounce and removal and other things so and stealing so we'll see how it plays i think it could be pretty it sounds like a fun deck um so i picked up those cards uh i picked up chia on ps5 my uh little um I think it's like a Polynesian Zelda clone. Uh, basically, it finally came out. Uh, I had it on pre-order through Amazon, so that came in through PS5. And man, not often you get a day one game. Uh, I mean, it was forty bucks. Okay. So it, it wasn't like a full seventy dollars price game, and I'd been waiting for that game for a while. But yeah, you're right. It's not very often I get day ones. Uh, but this is one I definitely pre-ordered. Uh, so I've been excited about that. Um, and then let's see, playing wise, I actually booted up Returnal. Yeah, and dude, that game's phenomenal. Like, it's so good. I played probably about three or four four hours yesterday, uh, just to kind of get through it. It it is so cool. Like, you know, we experienced a bit, right? As you go through, and you know, you die, and you come back, and there's you get your permanent items and all that good stuff, right? So, I actually went up against the first boss yesterday. I almost beat him too. Um, I was kind of disappointed I didn't because I was super close, but you traverse through everything and there's a lot of areas that are like the same, right? Like you get to those areas and you're like, okay, like these are staple areas. Like these are meant to be permanent and the rooms in which to get to those permanent areas change. Right. And we notice that, but there are rooms that are like, oh yeah, no, this is the same exact build and everything. It's just, there's a different way to get there. There's a different look to those other places to get there, etc. But as you progress through, and I guess spoilers for some people, Um, as you're progressing through, you actually come to her house from the 21st or 20th century and it is inside this area, like this planet, right? And you go into her, like you find her key, you go into her house and she has flashbacks and there's crazy sounds and things going on. Um, it's nuts, right? And then of course you have all these creatures and the creatures continue to get bigger and nastier. Like as you die and as you progress, like the creatures continue to get bigger and nastier. I'm still technically in the first area. Mm-hmm. because i haven't beat the first boss yeah and i know i can get to the first boss very easily like that's not an issue now um given the objectives and everything else um that kind of help you get there but you know i've had those permanent items that have built up every time i have a little bit of a playthrough i get another permanent item haven't found the grappling hook yet because you don't get that till after you beat the first boss but i have picked up various permanent items i've gotten used to different types of weapons um you know the way to use some of those consumables is pretty cool too there's different ways to do that um you know it's it's just good overall like now that you have like trans not transponders i guess transporters basically like you can jump and teleporter things we yeah like right before we stopped yeah they weren't accessible for us well now they are for me so like i can teleport from like room to room basically in various areas of the map and it's like, oh, yeah, like I'm supposed to and there's glyphs now. So like you find glyphs that are uncovering messages in the world. So, yeah, so I'm able to bounce from different parts. No problem. In fact, there was one I was in this like really nasty fight and I was about to die. I'm like, fuck, 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 fuck. I jumped <laughs> over to uh, one of the transporter things and it like automatically put me in a map. I'm like, Woo, we're good. And so I transported off and you see all these enemies like firing beams and stuff at me. Um, that would have killed me easily, but I was dissipating at the time and ended up where I needed to go. Um, so it's pretty cool. Uh, I do have the sword now. So the sword's pretty cool. So they're like those red vines that we saw. Mm-hmm. We're like, how the hell do you get past that? The sword actually gets past that. So you're able to get to those items and such now. So lots of cool things tied to that. Um, the sword actually breaks those giant crystals that we saw that were like of purple ether. Oh, the and ones art. that it was like, you can't do this. Yeah, yeah, you can't do this. You need some sort of Xenotech. Well, that's the Xenotech is the sword. Um, nice. So we're using that. So now there's a melee attack. Plus there's, um, you know, regular shooting. And there's a shotgun, which is badass. Like the shotgun is so stupidly overpowered. Shotguns are always the best in games. Yeah. The only problem is like if I was using a shotgun versus that boss, I would have died instantly. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a key thing there. But yeah, so that's been fun. Um, I played some White Knight Chronicles during the week as well. Um, White Knight Chronicles, I am, of course, still in the City of Greed, but I have gotten a little fur. Actually, no, I'm out of the City of Greed now. Um, I'm running a mission for 
the the governor city city of greed so or free city of greed is what it's called um so i had to find like this these uh fire diamonds or something to put into a statue and you take it to the governor and you trade off and say, Hey, you know, we really want to get into this cave that we need to get into. Um, but it's only available certain times a year. Can you help us out? And he's like, uh, I can, and I can't like, it's not the time of year to do that. And the person that normally does this on vacation. So you have to find him, give him this letter and he'll let you in there. I'm like, well, just make the fucking call in order and we'll be good. But no, that's not how it works in this game. There's a lot of, um, I wouldn't say fetch quests, but there's a lot of quests where you're like, oh, you have to go talk to person A, B, and C before something will happen. And it's like when you talk to person A, they're like, well, I need you to do this for me. Okay, cool. I go do that. Okay, cool. Thanks. Here's the information for this person. All right. Every person. Well, I could do it, but you're going to have to do this and this for me. So like there's so many like side quests within the quests to kind of finish things up that mm -hmm. it takes a little longer. The game itself from a chapter standpoint doesn't appear that long. Like I'm probably... Like I said, maybe 30% through from a chapter standpoint, but it's taking longer because there's other crap to do. Yeah. And I fall asleep while gaming, so that doesn't help. Um, and the last thing is MTG Arena. So still playing that, uh, basically using it as a practice platform for myself and then unlocking cards. Uh, so it's pretty cool. I mean, Have I, you I been got able to build that blue deck out in there to <sighs> test it. No, because I put my cards towards like uh, red and black. Um, and a little bit of blue, but mainly red and black. So I've been playing a mono black deck uh, for control and somewhat aggro. Um, and that took me to, uh, I ended up getting to platinum. Nice. And so you have uh, bronze, silver, gold, platinum, diamond, and mythic. And I'm on platinum. And getting to platinum with a half-built deck, I would say, is a little bit of luck and skill. So that's kind of good. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've been playing... Mono Black of Liliana, Shieldred, and Phyrexian Obliterators, which is kind of cool. Uh, you know, so that's always been fun. And then I do play Burn still whenever I can, because uh, it depends on like the daily challenge. Like sometimes there's a daily challenge that says play X amount of red spells. And it's like, okay, mm -hmm. I'll play my Burn for a while, or play black spells and I'll play that. Um, and then you get your gold in your pack. So like every day you're guaranteed pretty much like one pack of cards on there. Um, so I did the the standard like ranked for a while. And the main reason being is that when you hit platinum, you get like three or four packs for free and a thousand gold. So I'm like, that's five packs plus everything else that I built up. So that's kind of my goal right now. It's just like every day, put in at least a few games to get a pack, build up those packs and continue building up the collection on there so that over time um, I can, you know, continue to build better decks and practice so I don't have to buy cards outright with the mindset of, you know, playing on arena, practicing with decks on there and then purchasing the cards physically and actually using them in tournaments. Because of course, when you go through standard, you're going to play a certain amount of decks. Like I played a lot of domain and both decks I played mono black and uh, of course, red completely suffered against domain. Whereas if I played blue, I might've had a better chance. Um, and there's also domain control, which is interesting, um, but I haven't played that yet. And main reason being is I don't have any like rare wild cards. Mm -hmm. So I think I've mentioned before, the way that the game works is that as you open packs, you get a certain amount of like, if it's like four or five packs open, you get one rare wild card and then nine packs gives you one mythic. So you click wild card on the menu and you search up the card you want and you literally just craft it. So like you don't have the yeah. booster pack, open it. And then you can't get more than four cards um of one type so like if i want a shieldred and i have a place that a shieldreds well now whenever i open those packs i don't get a shieldred i get something else because it won't duplicate over four once you have a play set you're done you don't have nice. to worry about duplication same thing with like they have mythic packs so if you like buy nine packs and buying could just be your gold points you get six rare or a mix of six rares and mythics um out of those packs and if you get a duplicate it doesn't actually duplicate. That's right? pretty generous. Like I yeah. know other games would make you like break those down into crafting materials and then you could use those to make new cards instead of just getting like actually something different, like right off the yep. bat. And that's the cool thing. That's one of the things I really like about it. And then like even the uncommon, same deal, you know, like you don't get duplicate uncommons. And like if you really need an uncommon, you can craft the uncommon because like every other pack pretty much gives you like a, an uncommon wild card mm -hmm. and the uncommon wild card can be used for commons and uncommons to build those out. Um, so if I'm opening up like March and machine, for example, 
um, I can still use my uncommon thing to buy, you know, Kawigama or anything else that I might need because I don't have it. So it's pretty cool in that respect. Don't they have um, like a tournament in there where you can like mm-hmm. qualify for like the actual like pro league yeah, they, tournament or something? Yep. They have qualifiers and stuff in there, but it's like 10,000 gems. And 10,000 gems is equivalent to like $60 or something. Oh, for an entry? For an entry, yeah. So you can build up gems. But of course, to build up gems, you have to win standard tournaments that are on there or, st- or do ranked. or st- There are standard tournaments. Like you could put four or 5,000 gold towards a standard tournament. And those standard tournaments, if you win like seven games, you get gems. X amount of gems, right? And X amount of gold. Like you keep playing until you lose three times. But that's the issue, right? You keep playing until you lose three times. Um so you're not always lucky. You could face off against a deck that's, you know, several decks in a row. You're like, God damn, like this is crazy. And it's not like from what I've experienced, it's not tiered, right? So like if you enter this like standard play, you're not exactly in a set mode where it's like, oh, there's eight players and you're playing with these eight players and you're going to top 16, at least in my experience. So like I've literally faced like two or three domain decks back to back to back. And that was my so like, what the hell am I going to do? Yeah, like that's three instant losses. There's nothing that my deck can ha- like my deck can't handle that. So I just decided not play that. I just been playing ranked to get the free packs, get the gold, get as many boosters as I can. And then down the road, I will add up and then eventually play yeah, those types maybe of next tournaments. Year you could try to get into some stuff once you yeah. get some uh, some bankroll. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of like Justin, for example, he has like 90,000 gold just sitting nice. there. He doesn't use it. Um, which I find questionable. I don't know why he has that much and doesn't like open up new packs, but I guess he's set. <clears throat> so that was my in-week review of everything happening. Nice. Uh, so yesterday I went through and uh, I had started this process like, uh, I don't know, maybe a couple months ago I gave it a try and didn't really follow up with it. So yesterday I looked up another tutorial and I was able to convert my Vita into a preservation device. Very good. So I can start preserving games. Uh, I had gone through, I, uh, I wanted to check out final fantasy nine. Final fantasy nine is a game that I've started probably like four or five times over the years. Like I remember I rented it as a kid and I got to this part, like in the very beginning where you're playing as Steiner and there's a door that you have to leave that is at the face of the camera and it doesn't have any of those like a lot of final fantasy games will have like the diamond over like a door so you know like where to go in the pre-rendered backgrounds and stuff uh there was no indicator saying that you could walk towards the camera and leave so i just like ran around the castle as steiner for like hours trying to figure out where the hell to go and like just blew my whole rental on the game because I had no idea what to do because I was a dumb kid. So like the beginning of Final Fantasy IX, like I'm very familiar with and I really remember like a lot of those things. And I had seen the um, like fan remake trailer like a month or two ago that came out. and It looks so gorgeous. So like Final Fantasy IX, I've, I think I made it to like the second disc or something eventually in the past. But um, I don't know me and rpgs are weird like some days i'm just really like man i would love nothing more than to like get up in an rpg right now and and do you know some fantasy world stuff but like sometimes you go into it and there's just like all right let's go through uh 30 minutes of cutscenes and and text and stuff before we even really hit the ground running to go fight those level one rats so (laughs) you know i saw an interesting meme yesterday and because there's a lot of people slamming Final Fantasy 16 because of sheer amount of cinematics and stuff, right? Apparently. Yeah. And so somebody had mentioned or like, you're slamming Final Fantasy 16 for having all these crazy cinematics, right? And not having the gameplay you want. But if you look at all of the like greatest Final Fantasy games on like the PS1, it's literally the same shit. It's mm-hmm. just there's text instead of mass cinematics. So like, yeah pick and choose right like okay you get a whole bunch of text and running around and like having to talk to all these different people before you can actually get any action and story and then you also have cinematic scenes that occur whereas in this one it's like oh here's a short you know however long movie explaining everything yeah and let's get into the thick of it right yeah so uh i checked that out a bit i got it took me a while and like you know 
a bunch of Googling and downloading different programs and stuff. Um, eventually what I wound up using, there's this program that you can get once you hack your Vita called Adrenaline that launches like basically the PSP like full operating menu because I guess the PSP has like really, really good, uh, you know, PSP and PS1 emulation. So loading up your games through that works really well so i gave that a shot instead of using like retro arc or something like that and it, it seems like pretty fine um i'm into it uh, i'll keep checking that out and it's good to have a device that can do like just about anything you know so to get new games on it is it a matter of like loading a game in similar to like a hack to wii where you kind of have to insert the disc and it downloads the data and all that or is it no, you um, just uh, you to just do download. it. You do need to convert because most like ROM files download <clears> as <throat> like a .dot bin or a .dot q or a .dot iso. So for launching through the PSP, it has to be like in I think it was like an eBoot or eBMP or something like that. I don't, I don't remember the file name, but you have to convert the file over. But there's a program for that. Sounds like so, I need to get a Vita preservation device. Yeah. Vita is the best, dude. I love my Vita. Yeah. Any chance to be able to use it is great for me. And then, John, I played The Darkness. Yes. Yeah, I got through like the whole first chapter and wound up back in like the World War One memory or World War Two memory or whatever it is uh, and started going through that portion of the game. Uh, at first, it took me like a bit to get into like I probably died in the like opening cemetery area like five times <laughs> like right off the bat just because like I don't know you're a little bit squishy and the aiming is not like all that it's interesting because like you're always like dual wielding most of the time so you've got mm -hmm. like two red dot reticles and it's pretty generous with the tracking on it but I, I don't know I just was having a difficult time but once I got a little bit further into the game and started to make some progress, like there were definitely choke points where I would die like a bunch of times. Like I died a good handful of times while I was like in that bar when the like police van like backs in and the SWAT guys like jump out on you. And then I found like the best thing in the game, like to just cheese any situation. And that's just to use your little like crawly floor tentacle guy. And yep. just go out and kill everybody while you're behind cover yep. and then just run out and get everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the way to do it, man. You can yeah. go guns blazing or you can be like, ah, you guys go do the work. Yeah, um, is the one thing that I'm kind of like really mixed on it is, okay, I, I walk into an area and like I spend the first like minute just shooting every light bulb. And most of the time for no reason, like... I think I've used like the little darkling like gremlin guys like two or three times to actually kill people because like instead of just killing the guys myself, it wants me to like shoot the lights all out, then summon the guy and then send him over to do the work. And it's like I could have done that myself in like less than half the time. Yeah, I mean, it, it does that. I think later as the game progresses, though, I want to say that there's an ability that will just knock out all lights right away. So yeah, there's to... a gremlin you can summon that will do that. It's uh... Yeah, so you don't have to, like, worry about it. And so it's easier um, to do that. And then, yeah, it's much faster when you can use your darklings to to do your dirty work. Yeah. But what do you think so far? I mean, it's it's pretty good. I'm, I'm into it. Like, I do like, like a mob story. I think mm -hmm. that... Um, it's pretty competent. The acting I like a lot. I do like the the main character's voice. I think that they should have given him a little more lip movement mm -hmm. in, in his scenes when he's talking because he's just like barely moving his mouth while he's talking. Yeah. Um, but it, it seems good and it's definitely taken a turn. Like I was not expecting all of a sudden to be like back in this like hell memory of the past of like world war one or whatever and like trying to like figure out you know the history of how the darkness came into the family and stuff so i definitely once i got through chapter one i was like okay where's this gonna you know are we gonna just keep going in the same direction and then it threw that twist in there and i was like 
okay, now this is really like stepping up into something a bit more expansive than what I thought it was going to be. Uh-huh. I think it's interesting the like, I I don't know the the world. It's like kind of open worldy where like you've got like a map of like new york and new jersey and you kind of just take the subway to like get around to the different areas i guess it's like open zones or whatever i don't know what you would really call it these days but um that's kind of fun and like it's cool that it's connected i hate that there's like no way to track your objectives though like i keep having to resort to a guide because it's like oh you need to go to the pool hall and i'm like where the hell is the pool hall and then i went to this area that had like a big banner talking about like a pool tournament and i wandered like the whole map checked every door shot out every light bulb and i was like okay well where is it and it's like no it's in the last area you need to jump through this place and then the cops would like ram through the gate then you could go to the pool hall and i was like okay (laughs) i think it's cool how like certain areas you'll go into like if you holster your weapons like people Uh won't bug you but if you pull your guns out like everybody will like freak out there's uh i've had some issues with some like technical things in the game where i will be like uh when you go to jenny's apartment and she tells you to call butcher but you gotta like hang out with her on the couch i called butcher first And then I hung out on the couch with Jenny and then I left and it didn't like load any of like the stuff that was supposed to happen. So I had to like revert my checkpoint back and reverse the order of things that I did so that it would like let everything trigger. So I keep getting into situations where I'm wondering like, did I mess up and it's not doing what it's supposed to do? Or am I just completely like off base and in the wrong area? Like there's this mission where You've got to go and like get rid of his money, Polly's money in this one like warehouse. And there's the pile of money and it's like press X to burn money. And I hit it and it's like objective updated, but it doesn't have like the chick, the check mark on it. Yeah. And there's no like menu to go in and be like, okay, what's my objective here? And it's like, okay, look it up online. Oh, you got to go to the, go back outside to the, uh like storage room grab the gas can and use that to burn the money i was like okay (laughs) i just thought the game wasn't working you gotta really make sure that you burn that money yeah so uh, i do uh i do like it i've gotten more used to it the um i don't know the time travel thing's neat the powers are cool the setting i enjoy so i i think it's it's looking up and i'm gonna keep plowing through this one probably i'll finish this before i go back to pikmin again yeah and i think the story on this game is really intriguing too so i think that'll draw you in a little further as you go through because i mean you're talking comic book right and it's a very successful i wouldn't say very successful it's a successful comic book franchise right Mm -hmm. so there's a lot going for it in in regard to that so and they i think they do a pretty good job overall Mm -hmm. uh, with the game so yeah all right. Well, let's dive into our discussion topic. Uh, this week, we're talking a new One Piece trailer, and I guess One Piece in general. We'll just kind of go through that. So I, I just watched the trailer. Um, I didn't realize it was on until we were talking on the side here before the episode. And I I thought it was cool. You know, I think a lot of our fears that you and I had, like, how are they going to do Luffy's, you know, stretching? How are they going to, you know, manage the crew and like, you know, um, Usopp's nose, which is interesting because Usopp doesn't have a long nose, but you know, then I saw Arlong and Arlong's got his, you know, normal his stuff. And I'm like, nose. like, you could have totally done that with Usopp, but I guess the budget didn't call for a nose. So um that was super cool to see. Obviously, seeing red hair shanks in a trailer was badass. That was pretty cool. Um, seeing the Bellamy poster and knowing, okay, Bellamy's gonna be tied in, in some way. Uh, I, I thought it was really cool. So I'm I'm still positive, like I'm cautiously optimistic. optimistic. There you go. So cautiously optimistic that this is going to be good. Um, And it comes out August 31st. And my wife, who did not want to watch a single bit of and has probably been very annoyed with the amount of one piece I've watched in the last year from an Mm -hmm. anime perspective, saw the trailer and was like, okay, I could watch that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I got my wife into it too. She's down to watch it. I thought the trailer was even better than the first one. Like we got to see kind of the full breadth of probably the story they're going to be telling with this season of it. Uh, there's like a spot where you see, um, I can't remember his name, uh, the Black Cat's pirate guy. You see like his claws like come out behind the guy. We got to see Buggy doing his Buggy stuff. And I'm like, man, I hope that actor knows like the future of that role and that like he's going to be awesome <laughs> like for a long time. He's not just going to have this like one appearance. I, I thought the Fishmen actually looked like pretty good. I was wondering how they were going to handle that and if it was going to be like more CGI, but it's like all practical. So that's great. Um, all the practicality that they're doing looks really good. And I'm super excited for, you know, everything. I mean, Gold Roger looked good. He totally sold me on like his speech at the gallows. Uh, I think that this is going to be pretty amazing. And if, you know, America and, you know, other places can kind of set aside their apprehensions for adaptations of like anime and, and what they expect from them and, you know, come in with an open mind to the world of One Piece, I definitely think this could be hugely successful and we could see a lot more of this in the future. I mean, I would love to really see them be able to take this and, you know, see how far they can really go with it because there's so much One Piece that I would just love to see represented, you know, in this way and in this light. Yeah, Um same here and i think it'll be nice because like a condensed version right so it can really still give people a taste for that world but rather than jumping into a over a thousand episodes mm -hmm. of it there's um, gonna be a lot of cut stuff eventually though i mean even with what we're going to be seeing in the season it's either going to be condensed down pretty drastically or we will have a lot of cut stuff um for the most part but the the one thing and i, I talked about before we start recording that's still um kind of iffy on is luffy in general like I think that from an animation standpoint and visually, um, he's he's right, but I still cannot get over like the accent just kind of to me doesn't fit. It doesn't the charisma that's tied to him in at least the trailers doesn't fit what I would anticipate. All the other characters so far seem correct in how they've been cast and who has been cast and who's playing those parts and the voices that I have heard and the mannerisms of those characters in the trailers. Luffy, I'm still like super iffy on. So I'm hoping I'm proved wrong when the actual show comes out or additional trailers come through. But right now, I'm not sold on Luffy specifically. Everything else looks great, in my opinion. See, I'm in the opposite camp. I really like the Luffy casting and I really dig the uh accent as a part like I, I don't know i've always considered luffy to be this kind of like i mean he is he's like quirky and kind of like runs at his own speed and i think that like uh his like speech pattern and his accent really lend well to that you know like hey i'm you know confident and i am like a weird dude and you know, I'm here to do things my own way and be king of the pirates. And I just I really do like it. I, I'm I'm totally sold on that cast. Oh, well, we'll see, man. Uh, we'll see what happens when it comes out. But in terms of general one piece, uh, I am obviously week to week. I haven't watched this week's episode yet, so I'll probably watch that later today or tomorrow. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Wano arc is. A work of art and i will definitely be going right back to it to watch it in english when it's all done in english so we're talking like what 150 160 episodes of wano mm -hmm. uh, but i'm gonna re-watch in english uh, when it comes out so i'm excited about that but you need to catch up man yeah i know like, i i've been feeling the desire to get back into it and i just haven't gotten around to like pulling up my iPad and just sitting down and reading. I've been, you know, watch, I've been watching a ton of like just old AGDQs and stuff lately. And I actually, I was watching a speed run for uh, Donkey Kong three this morning to kind of get ready for our talk. Nice. Nice. Well, um, let's dive into our uh, topics this week. So uh, just kind of doing a quick, um, round robin on what we got here we have the ftc hits the brakes on xbox's activision blizzard merger trial set for august 
Uh, this is uh, IGN and Cat Bailey. We've also got before Barbenheimer, there was Doom Eternal and Animal Crossing. So um, I guess you could call it uh, Doom Crossing or Demon Crossing, whatever you want to call it. Uh, that one is Isaiah Colbert at Kotaku. And then uh, a recent survey shows that 69% of Russian gamers are pirating after the Ukraine invasion pushback. Uh, and this is Kevin Purdy at Ars Technica. So let's dive into the first one. Um, the FTC, I will actually just read directly from an article here to, you know, not pretend that I know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, they filed on July 18th. They submitted a motion to withdraw the proceeding, uh, which pretty much um, because the FTC did not respond with any objection to that. Um, it kind of spells the end to the overall challenge of the merger. Um, although with the CMA um, currently negotiating with Microsoft and Microsoft and Activision pushing the merger back to like, I think it's October is when they're pushing it back to October 18th. That kind of leaves the door open actually for the FTC to refile a different case if they'd want to. But the argument is, is they're not likely to do that because their entire argument to begin with was, well, Call of Duty, right? And you and I know Call of Duty should not have been the focal point of this entire case, right? It should have been more so on the fact that if you look at it now, Xbox actually has, or Microsoft has, I think it's nine or 11 more studios than Sony does now. So if you actually look at the total amount of in-house studios, Microsoft has more than Sony in-house studios. Um, so it, it's it's interesting, right, to, to kind of see the whole argument hinge on Call of Duty when realistically now you have Microsoft as, in terms of studios, the leader in video game studios in the market and with a hell of a lot more power in terms of franchises and the ability to keep those franchises off consoles. Uh, so I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of the same boat as you, right? Like I don't, I hate to see like big tech win in big tech. Like Microsoft has all the money in the world to spend, but are they doing right by a lot of these studios? And the answer is probably no, right? Uh, we've seen what happened with Rare and Arcane and all these other studios over the years that have just kind of nothing new has happened, right? Things are put on the shelf. Things are not actually revived and they just kind of sit there and die um, through Microsoft. So are they to write, like if Nintendo would have bought Activision Blizzard, for example, I'd probably be okay with it. Yeah. But the fact that Microsoft has purchased it, it's like, mm, not, not a super big fan of that. Um, so I don't know any thoughts so far on what's transpired this week. And yeah, man, we should have bought a bunch of Activision stock sooner. Did it skyrocket? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's probably up from where it was now that everything's probably going to be going through. Um, a couple things I saw this week that actually kind of are, you know, related tangentially to this. Uh, one video I just watched yesterday by Zenkai Goose on YouTube about Halo. And I'm wondering with this acquisition now and bringing in you know activision blizzard and the whole team behind call of duty like that's probably going to take a lot of pressure off of xbox to have to make halo like as good of a competitor and maybe that will give 343 some more breathing room to be able to make like a really good halo game and not a call of duty killer you know, outright as uh, the next platform or the next stage for Halo Infinite. And I, I think that that could be helpful in some ways, like especially if they can get some, you know, cross team collaboration and be able to bring over some people to maybe help 343 and, you know, be more successful in some of those, you know, online area ways that Call of Duty excels in. But, you know, without tainting Halo further and trying to push it more in that direction, but just give them, you know, the confidence and the competency to be able to really extend themselves and make Halo great again. And I mean, plus having, you know, all that extra bankroll in, you know, getting money and people in playing hopefully will boost, you know, their ability across all studios and hopefully be able to allow for you know other studios to pick up some of that owned ip by activision blizzard and be able to push you know other titles out that we haven't been able to see in a while um and the other thing that i saw this week is uh this game i brought it up to you a little bit earlier battle bit which is blowing up online it's like a huge um like kind of battlefield style 
multiplayer online shooter that's just like doing gangbusters. It looks like Roblox, but everybody loves it and it's really well put together. It's been out for like a long time, but you know, it's kind of getting its resurgence in life now. And I think it was made by like just a handful of dudes. So like if a handful of dudes can come out with something that's blowing up this big and looks like that and is wildly successful, then, you know, Sony has all of the resources in the world to come back in the next 10 years and try to revive Killzone or Resistance or do something that they can do as a first party counter to xbox owning you know what is like two of the biggest first person shooting franchises like they don't really have an excuse to be like we just can't compete yeah you can compete you just need some ingenuity and some money and you've probably got access to both yeah like dude resistance or kill zone coming back i think would be phenomenal um four of them i mean now it's a little different like kill zone is a little slower pace but resistance is very much like a fast paced type of shooter and if you can really kind of amp that up to where it is on pace or on par of like a call of duty or i mean anything's gonna be on par of call of duty but get it to like old school halo style mm-hmm. you know and and be that like old halo killer i think that's a model that could lead to some good success another option could be to just buy battle bits right yeah right. um and then just kind of that's your your competition right there. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. I think that this is going to be good for Halo and other, um, you know, titles that Microsoft has kind of neglected or hasn't really had to like that internal competition to really put out a banger of a game probably hasn't necessarily been there. And Halo has kind of gone downhill over the last few releases. So it will be interesting to see how some of these other titles either receive some sort of resurgence or it could be that they're just kind of, you know, they're not released that often. Um, you know, we only see like one title that comes out over the next several, you know, over the next console generation. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. Um, so diving into uh, another piece here, um, the Barbenheimer situation. Have like, you I seen don't know, either movie? I have not. And Me I really either. don't care. I don't care to see Barbie. I want to see. Oh, Barbie um, looks good. Really? Oh yeah. Uh, I want to see Oppenheimer, um, but that's kind of my my swing of film. Mm-hmm. Uh, Barbie, uh, I don't know. And I, you know what? I mean, I got a kid now. I can't go to movies for like five hours straight and yeah. do a back to back. There's just no way. Like if it was a couple of years ago, yeah, sure, we'd probably do it and and see what all the fuss was about. But if you're not aware of it, uh, basically Barbie and Oppenheimer, two very like vastly different films, released during the same time frame, right? And so fans of you know, you have some fans of Barbie, some fans of Oppenheimer and f- couples that say, well, hey, let's go see both. So it's kind of started this whole phenomenon known as uh, Barbenheimer. But before that, in the gaming world, we had Doom Eternal released at the same time as Animal Crossing's New Horizons. Yep. Back in 2020. And so I don't know if you have it pulled up the some of the nicknames that it had. I, I meant to do that just a moment ago. But essentially, the reason that we bring this up is for the same purposes that Barbenheimer is such a big thing. It's two different films, but it shows a love of film and it shows people that are willing to really just watch two very different films because they like movies. And it was stated back in 2020 when both Doom Eternal and, um, and Animal Crossing New Horizons came out that they're both one is, you know, building your little town or your village, right. And collecting various items and, your dailies and talking to townsfolk and interacting in that capacity. And the other one's gory and killing demons and blasting things and metal music and everything else you could think of that's tied to that. Um, Two very different games, but there are fans of both. And so you have people that are going to buy both games and are going to enjoy them. So there was tons of memes back then. I honestly, I don't even remember the memes, but with like, doom's main character and you know one of the animal crossing friends like holding hands and running around and stuff like that so like tons of funny things like quirky memes that came about back then and kind of sets the tone for things like this in the future right like company or organ not organizations developers publisher stuff might not be afraid to release multiple games in the same exact time frame versus kind of spanning things out a bit to say, well, hey, there's fans of both and they're willing to purchase both at the same time. Let's just release them. So I think that'll be pretty cool to see down the road that as these types of things continue, you know, we might see um, 
you know, resistance go out at the same time as Spider-Man, right? If something was developed or some really another Doom game goes out at the same time as like Spyro. Yeah, now, something along those lines. So what was the big shakeup recently? It was oh Baldur's Gate. They pushed their release date like up a month so that they didn't have to compete with something. And I, I hear this talk all the time about like, you know, doing intentional delays to deliberately get away from like launching at the same time. I think they pushed it up because they were going to launch like the same week or a week before Starfield and, you know, two giant RPGs that are going to ask for all your time are probably best split up. But I mean, this was a great example of, I think opposites attracting in a way where you could go in and like be the doom slayer and play this hard as hell, like first person shooter uh, in the afternoon, but you know, in the evening before bed or when you wake up in the morning, you can kind of, you know, just gently walk around your Island, do some fishing, things like that. But I do love all of the adorable, like memes and art and the video that's embedded in this article was so good with the Doob Slayer and Isabel. They're an adorable couple or friends or, or whatever you want to imagine them to be together as a, uh, you know, unkillable demon slaying, single minded, barely even a man and a, you know, sentient dog lady. <laughs> I don't know how that mixes, but whatever they are together, they're adorable and I'm all for it. And I do think that it's a it makes for really fun cross promotional material and for ways for these studios to get like really excited about each other and show things off. Like they talk about how, um, you know, they tweeted out finally with a picture of the Doom Slayer and Isabel. um uh nendroids holding hands when they launched the doom slayer skin in smash bros so like being able to cross promote and have that like organic chemistry between studios and characters is really fun and something that you don't get a whole lot of these days and barbenheimer and this both play into that really well i think yeah i would agree with you um it's definitely a lot of fun to see and uh, like I said, I really hope to see more of this type of stuff down the road. I do think you're you're right, though, on the massive RPGs, right? Baldur's Gate need to be pushed out from Starfield. That, to me, makes a ton of sense. Um, you are going to be trying to ask for a lot of people's time. But on that note, I don't know if you'd heard, Xbox players won't have to have that issue anyways if they're exclusively Xbox. So apparently, I was reading this morning that Baldur's Gate is not releasing on the Xbox Series X and S right away it's actually going to be delayed on that console yeah. uh, because microsoft is forcing parity amongst the series s and x and mm -hmm. it's being developed at the point of where it would only be released for an x console and so the studio is like uh yeah you're just not getting it anytime soon but microsoft is actively working with them to optimize it to be able to be played on both consoles yeah uh, which is which is fine but like at the same time it's like you're potentially going to have a loss of quality as well. If you're having to build to the S and then put it on the X, there might be content cut. There could be things that have to be, you know, modified to be able to make up for the fact that it has to be kind of downscaled in a sense, because that is in a way, a last gen console to S. I also saw a report that the S is the base console for Microsoft yeah. and that the X is their mid gen refresh. Yeah, that they just launched at the beginning of the gen. I was just about to bring up that same point because uh, there was a big PS5 Pro leak that came out that I just watched a video on yesterday and they had mentioned that in there. And I mean, I talked to a friend who, you know, he's a, a programmer and he knows like a bit about game dev and has friends in game dev and stuff. And I mean, when you set out to build something to target performance a console, I mean, a lot of that is on the studio and I mean, the Series S, it, that's the console I have, and it doesn't necessarily like blow the other, you know, competition out of the water. And I really hope that, you know, it's not perceived as holding back the next generation of games moving forward. But at the same time, people aren't really sure what they're really going to get extra out of the PS4 Pro and if it's going to be worth it. Like, obviously, I'm excited for the PS4, uh, PS5 Slim. 
sorry, PS5 Pro, PS5 Slim, for that to come out because I hope that it looks better than the PS5s we have now. And it'll have that attachable external disk drive to make it better than the diskless PS5 that we've got currently in that sense. Yeah, I think when the the Pro comes out, I'm actually going to sell my existing PS5 and upgrade at that point. Um, I might as well, right? If it's a couple hundred bucks, you know, to upgrade, I'll do it. Um, But obviously, it's all rumors right now, so we're not sure. Yeah, they said that they might be getting like dev kits out by the end of this year. So, you know, that could look at potentially like, you know, a summer or uh release for information and then looking at like a next holiday for probably launch yeah also depends on if it has a disk drive built in that would be a big thing for me if it doesn't have a disk drive then it's kind of like a a deal breaker i mean if they're making the external disk drive to work with the slim i would imagine it would make more sense to not have the disk in the pro console and release it for a little bit less money because yeah. they could leave that technology out. And if they're already developing an external disk drive, just have that work with that model as well. Oh, we'll see. We'll, we'll see what happens. See. All right. Well, let's dive into our next piece here, which is uh, 69% of Russian gamers are pirating after the Ukraine invasion pushback. And so John, they're preserving games. They they are. They are preserving games. Um, kind of, not really. Uh, but you know what? You can't blame them. Um, due to the invasion, uh, a lot of these companies, Sony, Microsoft, everybody pulled out. I mean, even bigger than that, uh, PayPal, MasterCard and Visa suspended their services. Yeah. So really gamers in Russia are kind of screwed in that respect. Um, I mean, well, they're just screwed, not in any respect they are just screwed over. Uh, you know, and there's a lot of, a lot of those gamers have, you know, some of them could be pro war. There's others that really are against it and. Maybe it was the government's to choice to do this. It, it wasn't yeah. the people's decision, but you know they're the ones who have to pay for it in this sense. Yeah, and so ultimately, what's happened is because of all of these, you know, payer or payment programs pulled out, studios pulled out, gamers don't have accessibility or access to a lot of the titles that they would want to play. So they are in a sense forced to pirate. They don't really have much of a choice if mm-hmm. they want to play these games. Uh, so that's what we're seeing today. And so a survey a few years ago, it, uh, I'm not going to go into general stats now, but a few years ago, the survey was not as high as what it is today, but in uh, let's see. So it says, actually, I'll just read it. a 2009 survey by security firm ECEST found that among 2000 Russians, 91% preferred pirated content across mediums. Um, that cracked games were the most popular pirated content and just 9% of respondents bought content exclusively from official sources. So this isn't like a new development, at least with Russian mm-hmm. gamers, but it's now more of like a forced activity. And it does make me wonder like long-term here, like let's just say peace is brokered, war ends, everything's back to normal, uh, MasterCard, Visa, studios continue to go back into Russia will these gamers be so accustomed to pirating content that they're just going to be like, well, screw this. Like the U S can't do anything to make them in Russia. I'm just going to keep pirating games anyways. Yeah. Why go back? Like once you've, that's kind of the thing. Like, I mean, I used to get like all kinds of anime and stuff online and I just don't do any of that anymore. One, I don't have a VPN and I don't want to get, you know, notices from my ISP on, on doing that. But I just like, I don't know. I got, fell out of that kind of realm of watching so much stuff that I wanted to have like day one, you know, uh, fan dubs and stuff. And it's like, I could just watch on Funimation now. So like if they make it easy and affordable, which is not really how the games industry works, maybe they could get, you know, back into having that. But like the fact that everything's trending digital anyways, and there's hardly an advantage in a lot of situations to buying, uh, you know, physical anymore. Like, I don't know what the secondhand market in Russia is like, but if there's not a lot of first part, you know, first position buyers buying these games, then the secondhand market is probably even more expensive and worse. 
because there's just not a lot of originals out there from the first purchase. So I would imagine that as we continue to trend into digital, it's just going to become more and more reason to not go back to purchasing whatsoever. Because yeah. what's the difference between a digital game you spent $60 on and a digital game that you didn't spend $60 on? Yeah, <laughs> pretty exactly. big difference. Yep, pretty much. So long term, we'll see what happens here. But this could bite the game industry in the butt when it's all said and done, um, having jumped out of Russia. But at the same time, you know, they, they cut off access. Their games that look like were being pirated already from the get go. So, you know, are they really losing a ton of revenue? Probably not, to be honest. Well, and I mean, in a kind of related, I can't remember what the name of the business was. Let me look it up here. There was a store in the UK that is going to stop selling uh, video games like physically. Hmm. Like a chain store? Yeah, like a big chain store. Tesco, uh, one of the largest supermarket chains in the UK, has decided no longer to offer physical video games. And seeing people talk about that article this week. I mean, if you go into like a Target or, or something like that, a lot of the times you just see like, you know, their racks where they have the games and they just have a bunch of empty slots. And there's yeah. like only a handful of games that they even sell physically because the margins are so slim and so many people just buy online that it's just not worth it for these stores to mass order bulk of these games just to discount them out months later when nobody's buying them. So in the, you know, dry up of not having these releases in Russia, like, is there even an opportunity on the other hand, uh, on the other end of this for physical stores to even want to have the desire to purchase these games and even have them available? Because if there if there's not even a place you can go and purchase them because the market is so into pirating and into digital purchasing anyways like the likelihood of them going back is going to be even slimmer yeah. and you know that may even extend to other regions too like if you can't go get a day one release of a physical game and even if you could if that physical game just comes with like you know a code in the box and not even a disc and a manual like what are you buying? Like you're just buying something to stick on a shelf for no reason. And you, and that actually happens. There's guys out there that will literally buy just the box because, Oh, well I want the box, which yeah. is the dumbest thing. Go it's in, the dumbest go thing online, saying. buy a bunch of like extra cases and print out your covers yourself. You'll save a ton of money and your shelf will look huge. Yeah, exactly. And just do that for all the digital games that you have, right? Just, yeah, Oh, mean, here's, even the here's special- my collection of nothing. Yeah, even the special edition games anymore don't even like come with the actual game. All you get is like the stuff. Well, it depends. If it's PC, even yeah, that's the case. But um, PS Five and stuff now you get physical games. I don't think the God of War did. Um, I don't know. I didn't get the God of War one, but like Sekiro, uh, not Sekiro. Sorry, sixteen did either. Uh, I'm not sure, but I do know that um, uh, Elden Ring came with the actual game physical game so it could it could depend on the developer too um all right so let's go into our inflation deflation for the week this week we played donkey kong country 3 dixie kong's double trouble on the game boy advance it was developed by rare published by nintendo uh directed by tim stamper it was released in november of 1996 it is a platformer my favorite reception is around a seven synopsis is the plot centers on dixie kong and her cousin kitty kong and her attempts to save the captured donkey kong and diddy kong from a series of antagonist or the series antagonist king k rule um so before we dive into this i'll just go into the differences uh for this game real quick so between the super nintendo and the gba version a on gba version specifically a whole new world was added. Uh, there was new music that was composed by the composer of the first two games, um, which honestly, I love the music in DKC3, so that's not a huge uh, perk to me. There were some mini games uh, that were added. Um, There's a 3D runner one uh, where you're steering to get tokens. You've also got Cranky's Dojo where you aim your shields. I messed with that a little bit. Creatures. I actually didn't get to mess with that one. Um, and then there's also things like uh, when you're trying to get like your upgrade, for example, of uh, the boat to the, like spare parts, um, there's like a, 
a shooter type thing where you're on your boat and you're shooting missiles to try and destroy gremlins. That was super hard. I think I killed like seven and it kept ending too quick. Yeah, I got to a point where I'm like, ah, screw this. Like I'm done. Um, That was difficult, right? So there's a few different things there. But like, I think something like that would have been really good on the Super Nintendo. Like some of those mini games that were added. The look of the worlds is also different, right? Like it's kind of the same build, but at the same time, it's not. Um, there are some different differences. Like when you go into the cabin, for example, of the first bear that's in the lake, it's a different vibe and feel than what you play in, in the uh, original on the Super Nintendo. Um, the banana birds feel the same. Uh, you have um, uh, the granny. She is sitting in like what appears to be like a tomb for banana birds, yeah. basically like a giant wheel um, in the background, kind of like Aztec looking and or ancient aztec looking and yeah like that's completely different in her chilling on a couch rocking back and forth and watching tv um you can also save at any point in the game whereas in the super nintendo you have to go uh to granny to be able mm. to save so like there's little things like that that are different uh, throughout um but overall it felt the same the levels felt the same obviously i know to play i've been playing this game for years so i blazed through it no problem um, in the first part of the world. And then, of course, got to the next step, which would have been, you know, let's get the spare parts. And uh, that I did not get past right away. Uh, but I did enjoy it. The little bit that What'd I played, play on? I played on the Game Boy Advance, not the SP. I played on an actual Game Boy Advance. Nice. Yeah, I figured I, I kind of had to play it in that format to really get the full experience of what I would have had back then. So what about yourself? Uh, I had a pretty decent time. So, like, my history with Donkey Kong, like, I love Donkey Kong Country for, you know, the Super Nintendo. I was never, never beat it. Imagine that. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Going back and revisiting DK game uh, for the first time in a long time was fun. Uh, this one, I I probably played a little bit at a friend's house when I was young, but... I don't really have any memories. Like I was shocked that there was like, Oh, there's just like this open world that you kind of like run around and find the levels in, like, as opposed to, you know, Hey, you're just on like a set path and you just go to the next level, like in the original. So I was not expecting that at all. I was not expecting all the mini games. Um, I know this one is like a really popular one in the community and people really like Dixie and Kitty Kong, but I just was like, oh, I guess Donkey Kong and and Diddy Kong like aren't even really in this one. Okay, Uh, fun. And go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say like three. I think a lot of the community like they like three, but they always feel that number two is far superior. Is that the one with Trixie and Diddy? That's uh, Diddy and Dixie. Diddy and Dixie? Yeah. Trixie is the Kong from DK64. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I haven't played DK64. Oh, you haven't? Oh, we should play mm-hmm. that. I oh, played a bunch fuck. of that as a kid, too. Well, maybe one day. We'll see. Um, yeah, I thought it was great. It looked yeah. great. It it felt good. I mean, Donkey Kong is like a really solid platformer. The visuals were really good. I'm always so impressed when I go back and play GBA stuff, just like how remarkably good they were able to make things look on you know something that at the time was like you know the peak performance of handheld gaming but in nowadays is like very low tech compared to you know even stuff you can just play on your phone 10 years ago Mm -hmm. so i'm always blown away by it yeah so brass tax on this game uh complete in box 8845 it peaked at 9126 in february of this year it's trending up a loose copy will run you in 1997 that peaked at 2225 in March of last year. It's also trending up. Uh, cheapest version is a GBA loose copy, and then the most expensive version would be a complete in box Super Nintendo version. For so, 115.96. Yeah, 115.96. Um, so I'm not exact like, dude, for 20 bucks, this is a steal on the GBA for sure. Yeah, I mean, I would I would think that it is worth it. I think it's it's just right, personally. Um, the extra $10 that you would spend for a Super Nintendo game, I think would also be just right. Like Donkey Kong Country 3 for 30 bucks, I think is just right at that price point. 
Um, and that's what it's going for. It's going for about $28, $29. So you're looking at $10 more to get, in my opinion, a far superior version. But if you're on a budget, you're really not losing too much. Um, it is or a if you Game want Boy it to Advance. be portable. Yeah. So if you want it to be portable, then, well, I mean, you could get a Superboy technically and make your DKC3 portable. Um, so I think that there's enough hardware out there to take this version, for example, a Retron 5, and be able to play a Game Boy Advance game onto your screen or your TV. Uh, I think you do have that option nowadays. So that does make this a little more appealing as a secondary option. I will always advocate for the Super Nintendo version over this version. But I do think that this is priced just right. Yeah, I'm trying to look here through like the uh, GBA titles and see what is coming up loose, like cheaper. But Mm -hmm. I mean, like there's so many games on here, like Sonic Advance 2 is like five bucks more than this. And this is infinitely more worth it than Sonic Advance 2. Yeah, absolutely. Like. Uh, I I would say that this is uh, just right pushing um, you deflated. Know, deflated, but I'll, I'll land on just right if, if that's where we can meet in the middle. Okay, sounds good. I mean, if you want to go deflated, we can. We don't we don't get too many deflated games. Yeah, I would say deflated, man. I think compared to like the other GBA offerings on here, and you know. Let's see. Donkey Kong Country 2 is 1918, so that's like around that same price. Yeah, I I I think this is really good. I'll, I'll go just right because You'll there are other right. titles in this like $20 price range and like I don't want to all of a sudden say, "Hey, this should be 5 bucks more than what it yeah. is." But I, I think that you definitely couldn't go wrong getting this for for, you know, 20 bucks. Sounds good. So just right. And I, I'm going to do my, you know, out of 10 score. I think um, I would put this an 8 out of 10. You know, for me, DKC3 is a 10 out of 10. That's one of my all-time favorite games. So it's going to get a 10 out of 10. I think this is 8 out of 10 in terms of that scale, just based on what I've played. Um, all right. Well, I don't know what we're playing next week. We don't know if we're doing in person or if we're going to do virtual. So we'll figure that out uh, as the week progresses. Uh, any last words, Ryan, before we depart? Uh yeah, leave us uh six star reviews. Six six five star reviews, not six star reviews, because people might misinterpret that and be like, oh, so they want six one star reviews. <laughs> All right. So no, we want six five star reviews. That's what we need. All right. This has been episode two forty five of the Game Flares Podcast. My name's John. I'm Ryan. And thanks for listening. <laughs>